Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We got a full house here tonight, and I'm not even going to attempt to introduce everybody, so I'm going to let everybody do it themselves. So, uh, going from my left, tell us who you are. Nick Sanders, and uh, I'm the third from the top. Third from the top, gotcha. All right, now next. I am Emmanuel Globetti, and I am dead last. The youngest of the group, <laughs> The man. youngest, yes. Uh, Mario Globetti, I'm fourth. Mark Globetti, and I'm 
Fifth and the best. <laughs> uh, Ryan Sanders and I'm number two. We got a room full of brothers here, and we're going to be talking uh, all things deer hunting. So um, I've known about specifically the, I guess the gold blood, or how to hold on. When we say your last name, <laughs> gold bedding, because first of all, I thought it was gold betty, but y'all just pronounce it totally different. Glow betty. Globe. Oh, I had it right. Globe. And he had me thinking I had it wrong. Yeah. Well, anyways, um, seeing you guys on like some of the Facebook groups, Killing Deer, especially, it always seems like it was just, like the brothers and then Dad Mark, who's over here behind some of the mics, uh, just killing deer on some of the different public lands, seeing on you know some of the different Facebook groups. Um, and then finally this year, uh, Marky, you shot a deer and had me and Pepper come out and, and try to look for it. Uh, and unfortunately did not find that deer. Did you ever find that deer later? I didn't. No. Hogs probably got a hold of it. No. Probably. No, but um, anyways, got to meet you know some of you guys, and it was kind of cool because seeing how big y'all's family is and all the brothers and everything, and again, everybody being tier killers and um, you know hunting on public land has been kind of interesting. Uh, so I wanted to kind of get everybody together, and glad we were able to kind of tell some hunting stories uh, just because y'all been hunting publicly, and all of y'all, even Dad too, for so long. We might have to get Dad a headset here in a little bit. Uh, for one of the mics, but uh, they kind of kick us off. I don't know who wants to start us off, but like, what's been y'all's journey when it comes to like specifically hunting public land? I mean, were y'all kind of born into it, or is that something y'all got into like later, like in college or something? Who wants to start? Well, <clears throat> when we when we were young, uh, our dad used to take us to Coosa County, and that's kind of how we got started out. And then uh, when we got when me and Nick were in college, and our older brother Ross. Um, our dad works at, at Mercedes, and so he had a friend named Terry Urban who had 40 acres on, on uh, one of the public lands uh, in West Alabama. And um, we were, we, he started inviting us out to, to hunt around his property. And so, you know, from that point on, you know, we, we kind of – it just kind of grew from there. I think Nick was the first one to kill, you know, a, a pretty substantial buck – on management area and then from there we just kept hunting it yeah no that's awesome and it's like again that kind of journey and this is one thing i want to get into is like the journey of you guys like hunting public land and kind of like what that looked like because marky you were telling me uh at least for you know you and maybe emmanuel the whole idea of like hunting like this a lot in college did y'all go to university of alabama yeah okay so you know being able to hunt a, a good bit you know throughout school probably got y'all a little fired up for it more so than you know probably when you are even younger and it's like you have all this free time to do it and then you know get back into the real world of, you know you know getting a job getting a career working for yourself the whole nine yards and it's it gets a little more hectic but like what was that like kind of especially back in college and like dude you know go hunt you know depending on how class was or maybe skipping class like you know andrew and myself used to do a whole bunch mm-hmm. uh you when, know what did that look like when we were in school we worked and we hunted that's about it we had we went to class when we had to go to class but we all paid for our own school so we all just worked and when we didn't have to work we hunted and nick really nick he he showed everybody pretty much he paved the way for everybody but that's all we did was hunt i mean we stayed in the woods and that's that's what we did i mean speak about that nick uh from what marky had told me about previously seems like you're the one that uh paved this road for everybody else when it comes to like going after not only public land hunting but you know some of these big bucks and mark was telling me you know you like killing some uh some pretty good deer and what got you onto the path of where you're at now now it seems like you're a huge small game hunter uh but what was the journey like going from you know hunting public land pretty heavily for for whitetails and you know did that ever switch over like it has now like more small game or is again deer still pretty prevalent for you i guess i hunted so much at the time i, I got kind of 
almost boards deer hunting and i still i still do deer hunt a lot and uh, i only do it like during the rut real heavy and then afterwards i just i kind of get bored with it and i start running the dogs so i just like the action of you know small game hunting and walking and talking and stuff like that yeah it's different people haven't experienced it that's something that i was telling you guys a little bit earlier i just recently got into rabbit hunting and uh that camaraderie of like that and then also like we've been upland hunting with our dogs too and it's like a lot more social interaction that you have compared to say deer hunting when it's all about quiet stealthy you know pay attention to the wind you know hunting with rabbits dude i mean you can kind of do what you want and you know get after it uh and it's an absolute blast so i kind of get that um but ryan you know throwing on the, the headset here uh, what's kind of like some of your thoughts or takes on that? I was going to go back to um, when when we were in college, you know, we, we like Marky said, we hunted and we went to class when we had to and we all worked. But when Marky graduated, he, he voluntarily took a, I don't know, three-month hiatus. And in between finding a job, like he graduated in December. And so at UA, you graduate like the first or second week in December. And he literally hunted you know every single day for those two months december through january until he had to find you know <laughs> finally go get his job you know and start his career right but he was in the woods almost every every single day during that time and uh so you know he 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 really kind of you know you talk about somebody that hunts the most it's marky you know he's in the woods as much as he can he sees the most deer you know and and mario and and nick and myself we have kids so now it's a little bit more challenging but back when we didn't have any responsibilities you know whether it was wood duck hunting on the national forest or deer hunting you know we were we were always out there hunting got injured attention with the wood ducks yeah hey man so yeah i heard uh so so mark you hunt the most out of everybody but i used to you also it turns out you're a pretty good spot does. finder. You're a good guide, I hear too. <laughs> I, I promise you, I can find a buck for anybody. If I, I just wish I had somebody to come videotape me every single day. I try to talk them into it, but they won't do it. But if somebody would just come shoot and videotape, we'd have the best, the best public land show you ever see. I just, I just can't shoot. You know, I just get too excited, all that. But I don't know. I, I believe that you know, time in the woods sitting there sitting there sitting there i think that's you know that's always been the way that i found them but i don't know i just love being in the woods honestly marky we talked about this a little bit when we were out there tracking uh your deer um about how things changed like back when you were hunting it as much as you did back in college like hunting some of this public land how much time you could spend out there yeah. scouting and paying attention and really staying on the deer i'd love to kind of get your take on that like the whole idea like not many people are blessed especially if you actually have a career to be able to hunt as much as you probably did back then um but you're able to like kind of stay tuned with what the deer are doing versus now if you're only are hunting like some of these gun hunts these weekends you know you might not be out there for five six seven days and you don't really know what's going on i mean can you talk a little bit about the difference between what you were doing back then versus how it's now as in well, you know y'all's busy schedule the biggest thing is back then you weren't scared to take a chance and hunt a spot that you thought might be okay because you had you know, you could hunt the rest of the week, and you could hunt all day, sun up to sundown. Now, if I hunt past 11 o'clock, I feel bad because I'm leaving, you know, the baby at home. But you weren't afraid to take a chance and hunt a spot that you thought, oh, he, that buck might be here. You you know, you just blow that day because you know, hey, I can hunt tomorrow, you know. And um, you just weren't worried about it. And back then, you know, all of us were hunting every single day. So we had – look at all these eyes we had in the woods. So I might not see a deer, but, you know, Ryan and Nick, they – oh i saw three bucks chasing her mario you know i saw three you know 
and people don't understand but just because you don't see that deer that don't mean that nothing's going on i mean just like when you're fishing just because you mm-hmm. don't catch them that don't mean somebody ain't gonna win the tournament there's always they're hungry they're gonna eat just like deer they're hungry they gotta move i don't care what the weather's doing they're, mm-hmm. they're gonna do it and we can make up all the excuses we want but they gotta do something but you got all these people in the woods that helps out when you have you know a group behind you you know to help you see what's going on in the woods oh for sure that's like a really good point you know we talked about this a bunch of podcasts is like having like a good group of guys that you can really like share the experience with but also kind of work with each other on kind of figuring out what's going on because you know we talked about this i had a hunt a couple years ago on some public land um that you know i was 250 yards from the next closest dude that was in our group hunting i had one of the best hunts ever you shot a five and a half year old seven point chasing a buck that was chasing a doe he was snort wheezing crazy vocalization saw six seven bucks or six seven deer that morning a couple different bucks and my buddy was 250 yards away did not see a single deer all morning didn't hear any of that snort reason none of the grunts nothing and i'm like that distance made a break whether oh man the rut's not even going on so like this is one of the craziest hunts i've ever had in alabama but it's like when you have a group of guys that you're sharing that with and you can kind of feed off each other and figure out like you know you know ryan's out there and you know sees you know three bucks chasing a doe and you didn't see anything well you know what was the area like what was the habitat like putting all the pieces together figure out okay now how we can go to you know, maybe a different area that sets up similar, maybe try to find that same kind of stuff going on now. Well, and <clears throat> Nick, you know, wasn't always like that where people were sharing information because Nick, you know, when he used to deer hunt pretty heavily, it was all secretive. You know, if he saw a big buck, he wouldn't tell you. If he got something on camera, he wouldn't always tell you, or wouldn't, he wouldn't tell. Wouldn't all tell of his us. own brothers. Yeah, he wouldn't he, tell he, anybody. He, he wouldn't tell you what the spot he was going to. So, you know, but as we've gotten older, we all hunt the same spots. And we all hunt within, you know, two miles of each other for the most part. And so, you know, I killed a big deer back in 2019 or 2020, and Nick had it on camera half a mile away, you know, in his spot. And it wasn't until after after we had I'd killed it that he went and pulled the camera card and he saw that buck on there. But up until probably the last three years, four years maybe, you know, now we can kind of share our spots and kind of share the wealth, you know what I mean? And and Nick, he wouldn't have told Ryan that he had that deer on camera. <laughs> if he he wouldn't, there's no way he would have told him. I guess, I guess you know, there's always some part of that, but it, it comes back to the interesting factors again. You know, all I mean, we have five brothers here, like all hunting together, all hunting the same piece of public land, and hunting other pieces of public land too. Um, it's just kind of cool to kind of see like the camaraderie aspect of like everybody being like diehard hunters. You know, in your own like you know whether it's deer hunting, whether it's deer hunting, also small game hunting, like Nick and the whole nine yards. Uh, that's kind of fascinating because you don't see that like i've got two other brothers one of them doesn't care a lick about deer hunting like at all he's like oh man i'll get back into deer hunting i'm like you're never gonna go deer hunting dude unless it's like a corn pile and a you know a, a shooting house you're sitting in you're not gonna go hunt because he's like he, anyways long story <laughs> probably ought to get on the podcast one time he probably has some hilarious stories from back when we were kids and then i've got another brother who's tore up with it that's about to graduate college but again it's one of those things that like you know not everybody has what y'all have where everybody's die you know all the you know the brothers are die hard into you know hunting in general like not just deer hunting um so that's kind of cool what was it like by the way when y'all were growing up hunting out there like hunting some of the public land and stuff i mean everybody load up the truck roll out you know especially like back maybe in high school i mean what's some, what's some of these crazy stories well when we were really when we were really little i just remember us all sitting together next to my dad freezing to death not probably not enough clothes on <laughs> never enough clothes rarely saw some deer here and there and, and you know i remember ryan missing one one time and piling up in a little one single cab Pile yeah, up, yeah yeah we we cram up in his uh single cab uh toyota 
five boys in a single cab toyota and checking in at uh management area if you've ever done that back in the day that was a three-hour ride from the house and then you check in it's another hour ride to your spot and uh wait in line for an hour because there was a thousand people at the check-in station yeah the muddiest rockiest road you've ever been on the roughest road you've ever been on later on you know we started hunting in uh in west alabama and it's like driving on a paved road now so what was it like and this is maybe everybody might have their own story when you go from like you know being as a like a kid you know less than 16 years old like you know hunting say like hunting with some of the older brothers or you know hunting with dad versus like when you turned 16 17 years old i mean was it one of those things did y'all get a vehicle did you have a family vehicle was it one of those things that you could go out there and go hunt or was it one of those things that you waited till pretty much college before you had opportunities to kind of go do what you wanted when it comes well, to deer hunting you got you got, yeah you got to remember so when we were really little you know we would go hunting but it was like we would go like one or two times a year may two times if we were really lucky and so when me and nick you know we're a little bit older than mario marky and emmanuel uh it what it really wasn't a thing you know like we would go like i said here and there and our dad would go you know uh, to the management area on his own but when we got to be up in high school like me and nick we played sports so hunting was not really a like we wrestled so wrestling's during hunting season we didn't play basketball because basketball's during hunting season and uh when we got into college you know it was back in probably 2003 2004 Mario, Marky, and Emmanuel would have still been, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, something like that, right? Maybe even a little bit older. So when when we really kind of found out about, you know, the the management area that we hunt on, um, that's when we really all started kind of getting into it even more. But then, like, Nick kind of got into it more so than I did because I'd rather go out and party. Nick would rather sleep, in, you know, you know, go to bed and then get up the next morning and go kill a big buck. And then, you know, I remember times where I'd wake up and he would call me because he needed me to come drag a deer out, and I'd I'd stayed out drinking the night before and I'd meet him, you know, on the national forest and we drag a deer out. But, you know, then when they, you know, Mario, Marky, and Emmanuel were still pretty young, so our dad would drive them down. They would meet us, and we'd all, you know, we'd we'd go hunt. We all you know nick had a toyota 4runner when he was 16 i drove a, uh, a, a van so it wasn't like you know right there with you, by you know, the way. we you know <laughs> all of them had tahoes and then eventually i got a tahoe too but and so we could kind of go hunting on our own so really you know you kind of look at really the last 20 years you know before that we did we hunted you know our dad i think you know he our dad's got one eight point that was mounted from back in on kusa right so you know in the early 90s or late 80s but you know really the last 20 years you kind of take a snapshot of that and it kind of built from 2004 to now to where you know we kind of all got into college kind of about the same time within the you know between 04 and 2010 2011 and kind of really got hot and heavy into hunting public land before but, kind of public land was but cold. when when we were growing up daddy hunted a lot by himself and i very rarely remember him coming home without yeah. a deer in the back of that toyota when he was by himself it didn't it, it might be a four point or whatever but he it was always the truck covered in clay and a deer in the back of the truck always we just couldn't always go with him yeah i mean and that but but when we were young you know like i said it just wasn't 
you know, I mean, who wants to go, who wants to take a little kid who's not into hunting, who's going to sit there and complain the whole time about how cold you are when you really want to kill a deer? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, you got, you know, if you think back to 1990, our dad would have been 30 and he had five kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> so then you fast forward to 95, there were six kids and he would have only been 35 years old. We're all right there that age. We really want to hunt. If I had five or six kids, I can guarantee you right now, I wouldn't be hunting. Yeah, or at least not as much as I am now. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I when speaking when we were growing up, as soon as I guess when I turned sixteen, they were in college, and I uh, bought a, a Tahoe, and that's when me and Marky and Emmanuel we kind of had it timed right because they were just getting into the management area stuff. So every Friday afternoon, we would pile up me and Marky and Emmanuel too sometimes, and we we'd drive down there and hunt all weekend. And we'd always been big and playing baseball, and that's kind of when we started seeing you know there's there's more to this than you know wanting to hunt more than anything and so they had already learned a good bit and we kind of took what they were learning and we just started spending every just about every single weekend in the woods he he got a bow before anybody and you know we we knew we could bow hunt it whenever we wanted to and just spend a ton of time out there yeah but even before management area yeah uh i never really did this but uh mario mark and emmanuel they would hunt you know, in the heart of the suburbs, out right out, you know, right outside of Birmingham. You yeah. know, before they could even drive anywhere, they were killing deer. We probably don't need to say. You know, the before, that. before, <laughs> before now, now before, it's probably one of the biggest spots in Birmingham. Yeah, before suburban bow hunter was a deal, they were suburban bow hunter. You know, in the yeah. late nineties. You Is know, really Daniel probably killed his first deer with he a bow did. when he was ten. Killed he my did. first deer with the bow down there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to get. I want to ask Manuel your take. You know, especially being the youngest of everybody, what was it like, kind of hunting, especially with uh, uh, Mario and Marky, especially like back in high school and maybe even middle school and stuff? Because I mean, was it pretty much like you know, just all go hunting and pretty much y'all get to a spot, and everybody would spread out, and, or like would y'all hunt together? What would y'all do back then? Yeah, pretty much. We all uh, would usually hunt down the same road. Uh, it was always super fun. We never hunted really far together. So we all had that same sort of intel, like more eyes in the woods. We'd share the information together, and uh, it was super fun. I uh, I didn't play as many sports as they did, so I got to hunt a little bit more in high school. And then when they went off to college, I would usually drive down on Friday night and meet them and hunt with them as well. When we were little, what we would do is my dad, Emmanuel would sit with my dad. We had, we'd had take out fold-up chairs, you know. And walkie-talkies. And, and walkie, we had walkie-talkies. slug guns. And slug gun. Yeah. And Emmanuel would sit with my dad, and I'd sit about 50 yards away. And then, you know, we'd spread out. Mario, he'd sit, you know, a few hundred yards away. And we'd all just spread out. And we'd hear somebody shoot. And next yeah. thing you know, Nick, boop, yeah. big buck down or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> i never then, forget that the morning he killed the first good deer we could out there, the eight point. He came across. I, I just I, he shot, and then I missed a spike at like ten yards. And I was calling to tell everybody that I missed. And Nick came over the radio. And what do you, I think he said something like, "Long live the what do you say? Long live the king. The king is dead or something." <laughs> Yeah. Something stupid like something that. Stupid, yeah. stupid Ted Nugent quote. And that was that first. <laughs> yeah. Or what about meat hitting the ground? What yeah. did he say about that? Uh, you have to ask him about that one. I don't know if you can say that on there. You may not be able to see that one. <laughs> <laughs> he but, said the the only meat he thought would hit the ground that morning was when he stopped to take a pee that morning. <laughs> <laughs> opening opening day again yeah. season he dropped one a nice eight point <laughs> so hunting with this 
Big group. To reiterate, reiterate there's what, seven brothers, right? There's six boys six. and a girl. There's seven kids in our family. Golly, man. And that's, that's really why we hunt, started hunting public land because, you know, Daddy worked at Mercedes. We had all we needed, but he's not about to pay $1,000 to go be in a hunting club. We just hunted. You know, we're yeah. not going to pay to kill deer, you know, so we just started hunting public land. One question we get, we talked about, kind of like Jacob mentioned, the, the idea of kind of group hunting a little bit. I mean, when y'all go out there, y'all got like six man days, you know, on a Saturday, right? And uh, we can get into man days later. We've talked about it a couple times, like what a man day is. But uh, whenever we talk about that, one thing that people ask us about is like, well, how do y'all kind of keep everything straight? You know, like who, how do you know, like who gets what spot? Do you all spot share? I mean, we y'all sneak into each other's spots and the other ones at work. First off, everybody has areas, you know. We, I think we all kind of have like a core area that we're, they're not too far from each other, but we all kind of have our little core area where we're going to hunt. And sometimes depending on what's going on, we may, you know, one well, somebody may then, go hunt. And Ryan, he's going to, who's ever yeah. seeing deer and can't that's hunt because they got to work, gonna Ryan, he's going to hunt where, <laughs> right. where, who's ever working and been seeing, that's Ryan's going to slip up on somebody. And <laughs> but but he makes it happen when he, he gets there. He makes it happen. <laughs> to, to answer your question, Andrew, uh, every day is a man day around me. <laughs> and, uh, it is and then what they're doing is is over the years they're taking my old spots after yeah. i shoot a buck out of them and they just basically are hunting those spots year after year that, we dive deeper we, we dive deeper into those spots yeah hunting dead deer uh, i mean <laughs> it's worked very well i will say nick he he finds the area he says yeah i've seen some deer here and then we just spread out through that area and that, that spot you, where ryan killed a good deer this year I don't know what year it was, maybe 2010 or 11. Me and me and Marky had been hunting in early January and hadn't seen a deer in seven days. Yeah, seven, seven days, all, all, day. all day. And Nick Nick said, "Y'all ought to go check out this this road over here." So we're like, "Okay." So we went and looked at that afternoon, and we hunted the next morning. I missed one on the ground right the next yeah. morning, and then two days later, I saw you 13 saw, does saw 13 that morning. deer, and then that's been one of the hottest spots we've ever ever found. So we do get a lot of intel from Nick. Well, the 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 spot I killed a deer this year. This is nobody spot. nobody had hunted yeah, it in, you know in like a year and i had a buddy of mine uh that's wanted to go hunt public land so you know it was a friday night i think and and there wasn't a gun hunt or he maybe he didn't have a management license so we just went on the national forest and i talked to marky and he was like yeah just you know go down in there and what have you so we we went off in there and we saw five bucks in one afternoon and so that night i, I was texting everybody and i, I said there was a gun hunt the next day I was like, they're like, you're not on any other bucks, so you might as well just go back back down in that spot. And so the very next morning, I I went down to the spot by myself, and that buck came out, you know, at 820. And the ne- very next day, I went back in the same spot, and I saw another two bucks. So, you know, within three hunts, you know, there, we saw like nine bucks in one spot. And so year after year, most of the spots produce – you know, whether it's national forest or, or management area, and it just so happens that, you know, if somebody can't hunt, if you feel good about a spot, you can go down in it. There's nobody's, you know, it's public land. Nobody's got a, you know, a lock on the gate yeah. for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you just go hunt what you, what you feel like. And I think, I think that was the seventh buck taken out of that tree that Ryan shot this year. And that's over, you know, 10 years. Probably you've, six, you've killed six of them. And, and I've missed been, probably yeah. six more out of that tree. <laughs> but that spot, for some reason, is doesn't look good but it's just a buck producing spot at the right time do y'all just are y'all constantly finding new areas or is this something where you've kind of found your good spots over the years and you kind of stick to them now maybe fine-tune it a little bit 
a lot of times we we hunt the same areas a lot but there's been a lot of the deer you know they change year to year the how they use certain areas they some spots are really hot this year like emmanuel emmanuel killed three bucks out of this spot that he's hunted for a while but the last two or three years it wasn't hot but this year for some reason he killed three bucks and our cousin came with us and killed an absolute giant a hundred yards from they were they tag teamed it and our cousin killed the biggest deer probably probably one of the biggest deer killed out there this year and it was just you know it's just those spots they get hot some years and some years you you know you're going to see deer but it's not some years are better than others for whatever reason two years ago we were we were on uh me and marky kind of recycled some a spot that nick had found you know 20 years ago and uh we were on deer two years in a row we were on deer and uh and then a tornado came through i think i killed two bucks out of one spot and marky had missed a buck one of the next days after what thing we were talking about earlier tornado came through and just wiped this whole spot out and so the last last year and this year we still kind of hunt the same area but we've been trying to figure out now how these deer are moving around this tornado damage and it's been you know it's been a little bit more challenging because we, you know, when we had, before the tornado came through, I mean, we were, fine, we had, we, fine tune. It, it was, yeah, you'd fine see, tune. you would see bucks almost every time you go in these spots. Good bucks. Because you hunt public land, so you know, but like when you hunt somewhere multiple times for that long, you know, you know the places where people park and where they don't. And so you know what's getting hunted and what's not. And you kind of designate those areas as the ones that don't have much pressure. And there's a lot of spots that, don't get hunted by anybody but us yeah i mean there's there's when we were really young it seems like there was a ton of pressure and there's been some pressure the last few years but not nothing like i mean we were in college we hardly saw anybody especially in the spots we hunt and well i think part of the part of the good thing is that you know all of us usually once we all have vehicles when we drive we'd all take separate vehicles so you'd have we'd hunt on one road and you'd have six vehicles, and then all of our good friends that we know would would come, and they'd hunt our spots too, right around where we're hunting. So you you know you'd ha- you could have as many as ten vehicles, and if you're just coming off you know from down from Birmingham, and you're going to hunt you know the, the management area, and you show up on this road, and there's ten vehicles on one road you have no idea that all these people know each other <laughs> but we all knew you yeah. know you could text back and forth y'all knew where everybody's at and and so like I think over the years you know we kind of kept people off you know certain roads in the management area and then you know i'll say like the last year or two we haven't hunted quite as much as we have in the past you know 10 so more people are starting to kind of encroach on our territory but i mean it's public land right it's just kind of the part of the deal i mean marky marky's notorious for waking up at two o'clock in the morning and showing up at his spot at three <laughs> o'clock and then napping <laughs> in his truck until five you know what i mean so i've done that a time or two i do it. If, uh, he, I, if, if i know there's a good deer in there nobody's gonna beat me in uh, the, the other thing is, is if, when you got when you have numbers you know like if there's a specific there's, there's a certain there's certain fire breaks that we really like to hunt and if they're on three consecutive ridges even if we're not gonna hunt on a ridge 
sometimes we'll we'll close a ridge off you know park it at a fire break and then go hunt the other fire break you know what i'm saying or you know if you have a fire break that cuts all the way through a main road somebody will park on the other side of the fire break so nobody walks in on you from the other side so Dude, ryan is giving out the hot day we don't even talk about that normally so doing it's that. Like, that, is mean, like, that is like uh, that uh, is like that shut the up hot. shut them down yeah, yeah. that is like <laughs> shut, shut it off well, write that down we're cutting the, that out the only reason <laughs> I, the only reason i think he can say that is because we we've hunted out there for so long and we've put in so many man days and honestly you think back how many times have we been walked up on not yeah, many not i mean until all. until probably two years ago whenever hunting public land started becoming cool or whatever i'd never been walked in on and even as many times i've hunted out there i've probably been walked in on maybe maybe five times i think i've only been walked on twice yeah maybe and we've i'm talking about when i say we've hunted we've hunted out there for weeks at a time when we were in college i mean we we would seriously hunt out there for weeks at a time and i just i mean you can i don't know i don't as long as nobody's walking in on you constantly i ain't worried about it are you and ryan's getting out as a lot of buddies he, would say that's the juice well, right I mean, he's, that, he's not saying a lot of those places are so hard to get to that nobody unless you like to walk a lot of people they're not gonna they, they either overlook it or they're not gonna walk it because they nobody's gonna carry a climber i mean we mm-hmm. we all you know but nobody. that's that's another advantage of hunting with a group of people is again like what ryan's talking yeah. about like i mean that is an actual strategy we use that all the time i mean the whole idea of like parking vehicles in very specific spots not because we're hunting there but we're trying to right deter people deter from people from that small small little access spot and a lot of times it's like the most subtle little spot off the side of the road where if you park a car there you can't park there for another quarter mile just so we can come in from the back side and go into a certain spot um so i mean that, that's a, that's a real thing but again you can't do that if you're hunting solo that's that's the again the huge advantage of hunting with a couple different guys that you can kind of go in you know hey we're gonna put this truck at this you know trailhead or this gate or this you know you know logging road fire break whatever and then we're gonna come in from the back side and kind of split off just because maybe the wind's different and maybe you don't want to have somebody directly you know upwind of you potentially blowing out you know some bedding area or whatever else that you know some deer may be coming through so and you know the other thing too where we hunt i think we're pretty fortunate you hear people complain all the time on social media about public land people walking in like you see somebody parked and somebody will park right next to you and walk right in on your spot on where we hunt you know yeah there's probably some people that do that but for the most part if you're parked on a fire break nobody's going to you know encroach on you there's been very few times when somebody tries to park the same fire break and you're hunting on you know and and, and come in on your your area that you're trying to hunt you know i mean you got to be i'm not saying it doesn't happen i'm just saying oh, that it happens doesn't work it happens but not as much as you would think <laughs> for no. us i mean no. it happens wait, but it's wait. a lot of places we hunt are very hard to get to and a lot of people they're they're not going to walk that i mean that's just all there is to it it's just it's hard hunting i mean is it not it's really hard it's you gotta want it if you want to hunt those spots. Yeah, you gotta want it. You gotta you gotta want it, and you gotta want to sit all day long. All day long. Yeah. And Mark, you know, this is during the beginning of the year when the management area hunt days come out. Marky gets the map and takes off every hunt day, right? And like this year, I told him up front. I said, "Look, don't do the same thing you've done the past five years. You basically take off all these days." You hunt, you know, even if it's, a, if it's a real crappy day, you just go and hunt and you just waste that day. You know, Nick, like you said earlier, he only hunts the rut and he only hunts like the best days of the rut. If it's if it's clear sky and just looks like a gorgeous day and it's nice and cold, he won't hunt because bluebird sky days are just not the best a lot of times to hunt. He'll hunt, you know, 
real kind of crappy days that are during the rut but marky he'll hunt he'll take off every hunt day and he'll start hunting every hunt day so what we were talking about when we use target panic from the very beginning of the year you know he hunts every hunt day every man day he can and so by the time you get to december 15th you know i should have tagged out three times you right. should have tagged out three times but he's had so many so many days where he's missed or or got frustrated he's That's already messed up he's already ru- ruined his his whole season you know what i mean so then <laughs> from just, december 15th on to january or february 10th he's trying to scramble and seal the deal you know for his last three bucks but I mean, it. you know, that's the difference is I love just sitting out there. Even if I don't, I just love sitting out there. I don't care if I see anything or not. I love being in the woods. That's the only difference. Nick and Ryan, they only hunt the best days and they kill the best bucks probably because of that. And I probably ruin a lot of spots because I'm in there so much. But I just, if I know there's a deer in there, I'm going to sit in there as long as I can. Yeah. And a lot of times at work, I'll have a shot, but I usually mess well, it up. So this is something that's interesting, though. The difference, again, Ryan, from like what you're doing and also Nick, compared to, say, like uh, Marky on the idea of, you know, kind of holding out to the best days, which a lot of times, it's based off schedules, based off, you know, what you're doing career-wise, family at home on the yards. You don't have 40 days to spend out in the woods or 50 days or whatever. You know, there's some guys I've heard spending 80-plus days of a season in the woods which is crazy. I'm like, how do you have a job, a career? Or a wife. And put, it, <laughs> yeah. Most don't. The ones I don't. I, I don't know don't. how I still do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can ask her. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah, just here. <laughs> stick a mic in her face. But, um, but it's interesting. Again, you get two different perspectives. Again, hunting like the most, like the best days of the year, okay, and kind of focusing on that and going hard then versus doing, Mark, I do the same thing as you. You know, you spread yourself out thin because you're hunting the whole season and it gets to the certain point where, you know, you have some success or have some failures, um, but you also kind of get worn down potentially. Well, this, for example, this year, the beginning of the year, there was a hunt, you know, in December, it was a five day muzzleloader hunt. Four out of the five days, it was raining. And I called, text Marky, I said, Marky, are you really like going to just waste <laughs> these days and go sit in the woods in the rain? He's like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal, whatever. I'm like, don't waste, you know, save those four days. But some of the best deer I've killed have been on the worst days because I don't, I mean, I don't care. You have to be out there. And now I've had a lot of bad, most time on those muzzleloader hunts, it is crap. But for some reason, it's raining. And I've had my gun misfire two or three times on some really nice deer because it was so wet. And I was sitting out there all day where I should have just probably been in the truck. But I don't know. I just I, like seat time. I think there's also, there's been so many times where the days that you don't, he, we don't expect to kill anything and something has happened. I mean, he has I'm out the there by myself. Story. Exactly. And he has half the time. If he's out there by himself, you're going to hear some crazy story once he gets out of the woods about something to happen or if we all think oh we're not we shouldn't have hunted that day and he did something's gonna happen now, almost every time if i can especially go, when there's that many of us if out there. i can go i'm gonna go yeah yeah and this i mean that's the things like you have so many different perspectives you know one thing that we've learned on the podcast in interviewing so many different people is like time in the woods definitely is like one of the most major factors for being successful killing deer but also i say on the flip side it's also time in the woods with like a uh, specific mindset of what you're doing because I know I mean you could spend 60 70 days a year in the woods hunting but you might be able to do more damage than not because you you're not learning from what your the mistakes are because you're going out there hunting the same spot over and over and over and over because I'm not saying hunt 50 days in a row and hunt the same spot 50 days in a row and you kill something but it's you know being smart with how you get, go about doing it. or on the flip side 
you learn an area so well. You can't do this if you don't have a lot of experience. But like again, Ryan and especially Nick, if you hunt an area for so long, you kind of know when the timing's right, when everything's absolutely perfect. You understand the topography, the terrain, how the deer move through it, and you kind of have those spots in the back of your pocket that hey, if it's it's these certain conditions and this window of time of the month and of the year, I'm going to go to this, this, or this area. And you can capitalize. It's hard to do that if you don't have a lot of experience in the area and also just have a lot of experience, period. Um, and that's something I think that a lot of people need to understand is you can't go out there if you're a newer hunter or someone that's less experienced on a property and do like what Nick's talking about where, you know, kind of saving it just for the rut for the short window of time and just go through there and just, you know, hopefully get lucky just by go sitting in a random spot. Because, I mean, Nick, most of the areas you hunt, I'm sure you have a ton of experience hunting those areas and understanding how the deer move through those areas, right? Yeah, let me just clear the air here. I'm not retired from deer hunting. <laughs> he, he is. I, uh, I, I actually do still enjoy a good deer hunt, but as you, as you all know, on public land, you have, you know, acres and acres and acres of woods and unbroken woods, and so you get out there and you scout and find where a big buck lives, and then you spend all your time hunting him. Well, nowadays with little kids, you know, you – you get you don't get that scout time and that so you basically are just going back to those repeat spots over the years that you've always hunted with the right winds and things and it's now it's like you're getting lucky here and there you know type of thing so um which i always enjoyed the scouting part of it since i'm not getting the whole spectrum of deer hunting anymore you know i just don't do it as much as i used to but but uh but i'm not out of the game yeah but you we you know when you recycle spots, I mean, you're hunting terrain, you may be hunting, you know, certain cover, you know, you may, they may clear cut a piece of property and you may have to wait five years for, for you to actually kind of go back into that area and it really be good enough, you know, for you to kind of hunt it. So, you know, all the, most of the spots, well, for me, it's usually terrain. You know, I like to hunt certain funnels and, and you know, where you can kind of tell deer moving through there. I've seen deer move through there and, you know, and so if they were moving through there 10 years ago during the rut, most likely they're going to move through there, you know, now, you know, and, and as long as, you know, you hadn't had something, you know, completely mess up the area. Now, I'm curious on getting y'all's take on that because that's an interesting topic of like, you know, if they did it 10 years ago, you know, especially if it's a train feature, they're probably going to still do it today. My question is, and kind of something I'll pitch back to anybody, anybody can answer this. How does specifically logging change that? Okay. And because, you know, some of these areas that we hunt and everybody experiences this, this in this room and also a lot of our people listening, if you hunt any piece of public land or even a club, at least, you know, West, you know, Nick's got, uh, or Nick's got a Westervelt shirt on Westervelt. If it's one of their properties, they could come in and cut, you know, three fourths of the property and potentially change, you know, what the habitat looks like, but the train's still there. How has that potentially affected you guys in some of these spots? Cause you know, especially dealing with the logging, like how has logging been something that y'all have been able to either try to figure out, or is that something that just makes it a little more tough when that comes in and kind of changes, you know, the habitat specifically in an area? Nick's probably the best one to speak on this, but because I, well, where we hunt the whole road, uh, you know, over the year, over the 20 years, almost the whole road has been logged, but it's, I think it's probably made some spots better because it's created, you know, bedding areas where there used to not be bedding areas where they used to be you know old growth timber and they logged it and then it's just big clear cuts but nick i mean that's his that's mm. nick's wheelhouse logging and you know timber operations and things is is welcomed if i'm deer hunting or turkey hunting or something i mean any of that is any of that activity draws everything in you know and so uh 
Matter of fact, I don't think we get enough of it where we hunt. So the best spot that I have in some years it's hit or miss, but when I first started hunting, it was all big hardwoods, and I saw more deer and. I saw it was the best spot I've ever that year was the best year I ever had or the most deer I ever saw. Then the very next year they cut it. And I said, all right, well, I'm just going to go sit on that cutover. I would still see 20 deer a day. And it was, it was, it's still awesome. I mean, it's still, it, they didn't change them. It was just a different, you know, but that spot is, that spot's unique because it's way back off the road, all that. But I, I think it affects them a little bit, but I don't think they really change the way they, they might change the way they move a little bit, but when there's terrain features, I think they're still going to use it the same. You know, we talked about the tornado that came through and messed up one of our spots last two years. You know, it, it's affected the way we can get back into the woods because, you know, I don't want to be hurdling, you know, oak trees, you know, half a mile back into the woods. Um, so it affects us more than I think it affects them. You know, the deer still move, whether it's a saddle or, you know, just a, a ridge line or whatever, a swamp, they're still going to move through that terrain. They may alter it a little bit, but, you know, like we still feel like they're back there. There's, but number one, there's no trees to climb. You know, number two, you, you can't really get back there with a tree stand. You know, and the way you have to get back there now, it probably affects the wind and everything else, you know, getting back there. So... Yeah, the deer are still using it, we think, but it's, it's, it's just, just harder to get back there quiet. It's harder to hunt them because there's nowhere to climb. But the deer are still there. I mean, they, they're still going to use it. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors. And trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and success call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. 
Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. And that's kind of more so where I try and get as not necessarily how it maybe changes the deer's movements, but how it changes you as a hunter dealing with that. Because again, that's something that we all deal with. I mean, if you hunt public land, specifically in the southeast, in areas where logging is prevalent, which is a lot of the southeast, you know, you deal with that. You deal with logging. And it's so funny when I hear guys. And I, f- I kind of feel bad for more of the bow hunters than a rifle hunter, but I mean, unless a bow hunter feels very confident hunting off the ground, you know, you'll hear guys that like, oh man, my club just got cut. You know, it's November 1st, they just cut my property. No, nope, I ain't going to see any deer. And, you know, we've interviewed guys that, you know, fresh clear cut, you know, the loggers are still there. They're killing giants, slipping through those, you know, slash piles, coming around the slash piles and everything else. And it's almost more like a mindset. Like if you just kind of take yourself out of it, like, oh, they cut down my one tree I've been climbing for 15 years. And looked at it from like, okay, it's changed, but the deer aren't going anywhere. The deer are still there. You just have to now have to figure out how to adapt with that habitat change and kind of flow with it. Because again, that can be super overwhelming for people when they come in and their honey hole they've been hunting for 10 years just gets cut and they're like, oh crap, now what? Yeah, and it's kind of weird and I can't explain it. I don't know if they can either, but Mario and Emmanuel, they hunt big woods, like really big woods. And it seems like those the big woods that they hunt like Emmanuel spot some years it is you can't go in there and not see a buck and then like some years you won't see anything I don't know what changes or if you're not if they're not there on the right days but it seems like some years those big wood areas that they hunt are really really good and some years they're not I don't know if it's due to acorns I don't know if it's due I don't know what it's due to it's hard to explain but some years are really really hot for them and some years it's very hit or miss you know yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what would be y'all's take on that, uh, Mario? Manuel, when it comes to like, you know, a spot like that where one year it's hot and one year it's not. Well, it just seems so. And the areas both of us hunt are very similar. They're they're really close together, <clears throat> but there's there are some very big, big woods. It just seems like some years, and I don't know what it is. They have come through there and thinned it out a little bit, but some years those deer are using are using those ridge systems a little bit more, and then some years they're staying in the thickest cover. Um, you know, that they're you still there to. that you, you can't, can't yeah that you can't get to and if you do get to it um it just it just seems like they they know you're there that kind of thing but like this year both you know, i didn't i don't hunt near as much as that's mario's spot he don't get he only gets to hunt about five times a year he gets it done but he only gets to hunt four or five times a year about 10 maybe but we we hunt very close together and we both he like i said he, t- he tagged out and i got lucky and and shot one um 20 yeah within about about 20 minutes of being there um but yeah, I don't. I don't really. I don't really know what it is. But just like Marky said, the, we know the deer there. Um, it's big woods. It's just it, every other year seems to change a little bit. And it's kind of like those big woods. It's like feast or famine. Like they either see a good buck or they don't see anything. And then where where me and Ryan hunt more. So we hunt really really thick stuff. It's like we're gonna see some deer. I mean, we might see fifteen deer, but it might not be a good deer. It might be a bunch of does and little bucks. Whereas when they see a deer, it's gonna be. It's going to be daddy. Well, that's the interesting thing, because like the spot that we went and tracked that deer you shot, I mean, if you didn't sit on the ground, good luck trying to shoot in there. I mean, you get elevated, you get maybe six, eight feet off the ground, you can kind of see, but it's like thick enough. Like what you said, like you could be in there with a slug gun and have, you know, plenty of opportunity versus, you know, a lot of guys like, I want to shoot the furthest I possibly can. Well, that's not a problem there, but you go to more of a big wood setting, you know, that more open train. It almost seems like, again, like Mary, what you're saying is like, it seems like some years they're just using those bigger ridge systems that's more open woods during certain times of the year versus, you know, maybe not. Um, and, again, that's probably one of those things that's kind of challenging for people is when it comes to 
whether it's hunting publicly, a hunting club, a lease, a farm, whatever, how stuff can change based off hunting pressure. Because maybe one year it doesn't get hunted that hard. Nobody's really bumping deer off those ridge systems. The deer feels, the bucks feel super confident running those ridges. And then they get bumped a couple times, whether it's you guys or someone else in there that you just don't know about. And then all of a sudden that pattern kind of changes, especially if there's not maybe just a ton of bucks right. in that area and they kind of hold a little bit lower or hold it to some thicker cover. And I think the deer density where we are is lower of course too than where where he is because we i mean we both we don't really see that many does no i think what helped most this year is uh they burned it last year yeah. and it hadn't been burned in a long time yeah. and i really think that yeah, that's the best helped that a lot. that's the best thing that i can think of that really helped it and uh one of the spots i killed a buck in was i could see the fire break i think a lot of people just really overthink some of those spots on those the big woods uh, it was a spot I hunted a long time ago, and uh, I've been wanting to hunt there again. And literally, I set up, and I had a decent six-point. He walked right behind me, crossed fire break right where I went in the woods at. And I, I think really a lot of people overlooked that as well. Well, it's like, you know, fire break could be a perfect subtle habitat edge that, like, people don't think about. Because if you're in a big wood setting, that fire break might have just a little bit more you know, understory on the each side of it, just because there's a little more sunlight coming down there when they come through and, and cut that fire break, especially if they did it with a dozer. And, um, you know, if it's a big wood setting, that little slight subtle habitat edge where there's just a little bit more cover might be that one thing that those bucks feel a lot more comfortable running versus, you know, being in, you know, open hardwoods or open ponds or whatever. Yeah. And I like those spots that when you see a deer, you're going to have a shot. Like it's going to be within bow range. Yeah. Because that's, that's where I have the confidence well, to make the shot. I like, I like being able to see a long <laughs> every, way. Every deer that I kill is within 50 yards. I mean, I, I used to think woods that were pretty were good to hunt and I wouldn't ever see any deer. And then I started hunting, you know, nasty, na- like nasty woods where like it, like you get in a tree stand, you can see, but if you get on the ground, you can't see anything, you know? So, that's what I try to look for now. Me and Marky probably hunt very similar stuff. Nick mainly ground hunts, you know, so he 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 hunt ridges and stuff like that. But if it's pretty open hardwood bottom, I usually don't like to hunt it unless it's like an afternoon hunt, you know. But most of the time, it's going to be you know nasty woods. Well, that's a good point. Also, you know, habitat in some of these areas where like if you're on the ground, it's thick enough where you can't really shoot through it. If you get twenty feet up a tree, it might be the overstory like the, the the canopy is too thick to be able to see so it's like that sweet spot could be a little bit lower like kind of right in between we've hunted spots like that too where you sit on the ground you could not see a deer 25 yards from me but if you climb up 15 16 18 feet up a tree i can see down into it i can see a little bit further but also but still below the canopy or you get one of those spots especially you get pines that are 20 years old you climb up one of those pines 25 feet on the ground source especially they've been thinned you can't see crap but you get up and it's like oh dude, this is all open yeah, i can see down see through lanes, all of this yeah. <laughs> uh, i climb as high as i need to it don't matter uh, listen, as high as it takes or as low as it takes i'm the kind of guy uh we, we me and andrew talked about this but like you know if we're using a climber because sometimes especially later in the season gun season i'll use a climber specifically in certain spots especially with a rifle it's like if i don't have to adjust the climber a couple times on the way up <laughs> it's i'm not that high because you like, ain't getting 30 feet yeah. if you ain't adjusting that platform yeah me and andrew we were on his club and hunting the spot where they had come through and mulched western belt mulched this area right off this creek where they came through it's kind of funny they actually cut yeah. 
eight-year-old pines through this uh, wetland restoration. Dude, and, and it is primo. Again, Nick talking about some rabbits now. It okay? is primo. I'm talking yeah. like six. Hey, when are y'all coming down? Man? I'm listening. Six, when coming down? six to eight foot hellhole. Okay, that's you know <laughs> six to midnight. Six to midnight. <laughs> that is just nasty, nasty, nasty. But again, I, I climbed a big water oak, or a big uh, white oak around the edge of it, and I had to adjust the platform twice in the top twice on the way up the tree just to get high enough where I could see down into part of it. Still couldn't see into a lot of it because it's so thick. But just to get a visual advantage, and like there's parts in South Alabama, there's one spot I hunted last year. I had to take two 30 foot pull up ropes, okay, tie them together. <laughs> and I had a pine tree. It was the biggest pine tree I could climb with my climber, okay. I had it maxed out. I used a lone wolf sit and climb. It was completely maxed out. And I had just that thing three times on the way up and three times on the way down. And I measured it as about 43 feet to the platform where I was at. And I'm talking about <laughs> sketchy, dude. Thank God it wasn't windy. You're up there, you catch a good breeze, but and you're listen, like, whoa. I had a, I had a, butt, I had a little butt, I had a little butt coming. This is kind of funny. I had a little butt coming. I filmed it, and people, I posted this video. They're like, <laughs> how high are you, dagger? Because <laughs> this deer is 40 yards from me, and you're seeing the backside shoulder. That, that deer's broadside, and it looks like it's right underneath you, dude. I mean, just crazy. Like, good luck trying to shoot it with a bow, but – some of that times, like when you're in like a big area, especially around like some of these thick clear cuts or nasty hell holes, you got to get high enough where you can see down into it. Because if you're 20 feet off the ground, you can't see into it. I mean, it's a wall of vegetation right there, especially if you're starting to deal with honeysuckle, greenbrier, the whole nine yards, uh, which you find a lot in these pine areas. Um, I, I, I really want to ask about the fire breaks a little bit again, because y'all keep mentioning fire breaks. What is it about a fire break specifically that you're you're kind of interested in, and how are you picking a spot on a fire break? Because anybody who's familiar with a fire break, I mean, it might run for a mile and a half, two miles. So uh, when you're walking down the fire break, how, how do you know that, hey, I need to get up in a tree right here and hunt this spot? We got to look for deer sign. The signs that point to where the deer are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the deer crossing signs on the road. Yeah, look for a deer crossing sign. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we're looking for transition areas and, and that kind of thing. But also, like just like he said, I mean, the spot where I killed a deer this year, me and Mark have been been walking it for years. And every single year, we're like, with, there's just deer tracks everywhere. And I've been telling for years, I'm just going to waste a day and sit here one day. And the day before I hunted this spot... Um, but see now it's hard to waste a day like we yeah, go it back is. To, we go back to college but we weren't scared to waste a day it, it but. is but like this i couldn't get a babysitter that morning until like 10 o'clock so i got to the woods 11:30, and i told him the night before i said i think i might sit there he said just do it it's like 70 degrees you know climbed up there's tracks crossing back and forth constantly and so i mean i'm sitting right on the side of a fire break i've been talking about it for years 15 20 minutes later you know i see it a, a good seven point coming coming across that ridge boom it's over i've hunted it two or three more times and seen deer every single time and we've waited 10 years to hunt that spot yeah i mean you know i've killed deer in that vicinity but you know this is a spot where you can see like i listened to that episode y'all talking about you can see 300 yards you can see 300 yards and it's very pretty but it, it has it's got a good understory uh now and you know the sign was just there and they're you know they're crossing it it's a mile back in the woods um you know and it was just an easy crossing and we we said we i think we don't really overthink it too much um you're seeing deer sign you see some good transition areas thick woods um but i think a lot of it's just experience we because we we have been kind of the same areas for a long time and we've i mean we've dissected just about every fire every road that we hunt we've dissected it so much that you know, we have a, a pretty good feel. We've wasted, we have wasted a lot of days. Yeah. Okay. On, a, on, a, on a clean fire break, too, you can see where people are coming in and out. Yeah. You can see where, where deer cross. Day after rain, you can you see, know, see everything. You can get in really quiet. So there's a lot of things about a fire break that help a hunter out. And then 
you know, kind of give you clues of what's going on back in the woods. Yeah, I'll say this. One thing I learned, and this is just that one time I went out with Marky and Emmanuel checking that deer, where you went and hunted, you went, listen, you told me like it's a good ways back in there. It was a damn good ways back in there because <laughs> we got in and we're passing stuff. I'm like, dude, this looks good right yeah. here. Like, oh no, let's keep going. We're, we're going, we're walking for 15, 25, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. And we get back in there. And it's like one of those things that there's so much stuff that guys would stop short at yeah. just because like, oh, this looks good. It looks good enough. And they're like, I'll stop here versus making the effort to go a little bit further in and kind of whether it's the first time going in there, they're scouting it, or if they're, you know, hunting with the stand on their back and like, oh, I'm just going to go in and find a spot. And they kind of like settle in quotations for an area. And maybe it's not the best area to sit at. And they just kind of settle for, you know, this is the first thing that catches their attention. Well, you can't be scared to go. Like, you can't be scared to make a little bit of noise getting to your spot. You know what I mean? Like, like, if you're just going to go and sit on a fire break, you know, and not make any noise getting in, that's great. But, you know, if you would have gone 20 yards more off of a, you know, off a fire break or whatever and made a little bit more noise, you could have had a little bit better spot. I mean, there's there's a lot of spots, Marky Hunts, that, like, I would never have stumbled upon because he kind of goes a little bit further than most people to look and see, all right, well, what's over this ridge, you know, or what's past this thicket. Well, that spot that you're talking about, you know how I found that spot? It was the last day of the season. My freshman year in college, I had the worst season I've ever had. I'd hit, missed, killed I thought this 20. season was the worst one. It's one of the worst. But you have to think I about had, it. I had you hit, hit missed, killed 20? What? Yeah, I mean, I had I had shot up the woods that year, hadn't found a deer or whatever. <laughs> you know, I was just young. So I told Mario it was the last day of the season. It was January 30. Back then, you know, January 31st, the last day. I told Mario, I said, I'm going to walk as far as I can until I get tired with this climb. I had a, you know, a summit 30, the old yes. Met steel one. Steel came, oh, I yeah. still, still my favorite stand. And I said, when I get tired, I'm going to climb up a tree. And I climbed up a tree and had a nice, I'm talking about a really nice eight point. And I saw him. Yeah. He walked out and I told Mario, I said, I just had a nice one. He was pretty, it was, it, was, it wasn't a gun day. It was a bow hunt. Yeah. And I said, I, he he was too far. And Mary was like, yeah, you should have taken a shot. But, well, he came back out, and I shot him, and I hit him, and we could never find yeah. him, of course. But that's how I found that spot. I just walked until I got tired. And, and, and then we tracked that deer and found found more spots. We found all kinds of spots. But on that spot you're talking about, too, you know, 15 years ago on a Saturday, we'd have 10 people set up down that road. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? So he's dropping us off, and we're hunting all these different spots. I mean, seriously, probably 8 to 10 yeah. people. And then and everybody would kill one. <laughs> but that, but that yeah. was 15 years ago, too, maybe. It, he could, he he had missed a doe, or he hit a doe. He was hunting a place that he called the football field. It was in the middle of all this. Now you're giving stuff. away names of spots, <laughs> I, but no, but nobody knows the names of it. So that's so, what, what we call it. Yeah, but anyway, it's this open area in the middle of this, it's the thickest woods you've ever found, right? Anyways, he killed he or he had shot a deer and tracked it, and he got lost in the oh, stuff yeah. that was that's over true. his head, and he had to call us, and we we would go, we like we had to come and find him down the fire break. And he was, you know, maybe a hundred yards off the fire break, but he, you know, he couldn't see the road. He couldn't get to the road. It was in the middle of just the thickest stuff. And so a lot of the places we hunt, you know, you, you can't get from like, you may be 500 yards, right. From, from another fire break or what have you, but you can't get to that other fire break because it is so thick. You can't, you just can't walk through. You have to get on your hands and knees and crawl. And so those deer, there's so many deer that are, you know, pinned into these one little you know, small areas you know, and we try to get as close as we can without spooking them, you know. Well, and, and and another another way I found a lot of good spots is after you shoot a good deer, 
if they run a lot of times when you track when you blood trail that deer to wherever he runs you'll see more deer sign you've ever seen in your life because a lot of times they'll run to the thickest if they run and we found a lot of spots by just blood trailing deer to wherever they run back to and you're like damn i didn't even know that was there and it just opens up the door to just nasty spots that nobody's going to go to yeah no that's, that's a good point yeah i've heard so many people talk about like the success of finding spots from like say you know whether it's a gut shot deer the deer ran a couple hundred yards bedded down and on the way back they're like dude this looks freaking awesome like crazy rub lines big community scrapes you know a little open spot right next to some super thick cover um because like that's like the kind of stuff that you don't really find that unless you intentionally go out there and i say like go get lost again in quotations you don't have your onyx map or whatever and get out there and and go wandering and back then nobody had onyx and everything so we would i mean we would feel we we knew we had a buddy system so we weren't scared to get lost so we would go but now i mean it's just like fishing you know you can see the bottom of the lake so everybody can see so there's not as many secret spots but at one time it, we, we would buy topo maps from the u.s geological survey yeah. on campus and so we would buy you know find areas we want to go hunt and then we you know we'd use the topo map to walk around and you had a funny story in that not topo map when i first started hunting public uh i got one of the, the wildlife management maps and uh, i was looking at the roads on there and you know how the roads it had some of the roads roads named and uh, i was driving this road and i was in, i was in college at uab and i was driving down this little road and i thought it was on public and i'm driving down this road and i had a little tiny i was driving a uh, like a honda like a little tiny honda little car like or a honda a honda little car anyways that was you <laughs> no, no, no. So, something you should not have on public land right? and I'm, dri- I'm driving down this little road and i'm like dude there's white oaks all i mean it's dark i, I had got off work i had i was working a restaurant and got off it was like 10 11 o'clock at night and i'm driving down this road i'm like dude this looks good there's white oaks all over the road and stuff i'm like, Man, i'm gonna come back here and it looked like i was on the mat i was on the public and this, <laughs> this is before i did it, onyx was not a thing in alabama at this time i like, didn't know there's anything such as onyx and or any other like digital mapping system I get back and I'm looking at it. And next thing I know, I'm like, dude, I was three miles from public. I wasn't even <laughs> on the public land. I'm on some private. It's, it's a public no road. It looked good. Yeah, you, it was you, a public road. You I'm hunted like, it too, didn't no, it? No, I, I did not. Thank God. I'll tell you after the podcast. No, but, but, dude, I was driving through. I'm like, man, this looks. I'm like, literally, with my headlights driving down this road, I'm getting out looking around. I'm like, dude, this looks good, dude. And I'm thinking, I'm going to hunt 80 yards off the road in these big, this big white oak flat and kill a deer. And yeah, dude, I was three miles from freaking public land. I wasn't even in the same ballpark dude it just looked like the same road that was on the freaking map so um yeah that, that's that's funny when it comes to this like how things have changed because now you have onyx you have you know all these different digital mapping systems that you have confidence to know where you're at and it has shortened the learning curve for a lot of people but also it also to me distracts people from like overlooking certain areas or not willing to get far enough in they're like oh you know just because i can see everything doesn't mean i have to go you know three quarters of a mile a mile mile and a half plus back into a spot and it's it's kind of funny because you'll find guys that hunt like you know we've had success within you know 150 yards of the road and, and killed nice deer and then we've had spots like manager killed some bucks this year that were two and a half miles from the road and had to get them out and it's one of those things that you know that can really kind of overwhelm people when they have even if you have like onyx and you're looking at your maps and you're looking at everything you see all this property like it's overwhelming like, oh man i've got 
tens of thousands of acres or even more so depending on like whether you're on a national forest or not of property to go to and they kind of get distracted instead of like honing in on the area kind of like what y'all have done like all, all y'all have like your own areas that you kind of focus on but it's all i'm going to call it in the same neighborhood as each other so or of each other so you're able to kind of bounce off what each other's seeing and, and kind of fine-tune it versus like hey i'm going to go to this side of the management area and then tomorrow i'm going to go you know 10 miles to the other side of the management area or, or national forest and go hunt a couple of years ago you know, Nick, we all turkey hunt management area too. And Nick, you know, there's a certain area that that he hunted for years, and and we all kind of hunted it. But I really started hunting, and I killed a really a really nice buck down in this area. Well, it wasn't too far from a saddle that that Nick, me and Nick, back in college hunted, and I killed this little eight point. You know, that I probably shouldn't have killed, but you know, it was a, just a natural funnel. Which one? Okay, which one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Why shouldn't you have killed it? All deer. Yeah, it, it don't matter. Well, it made you happy. Just listen. So we we were, I, I'd killed a nice buck the year before. And I told Marky, I said, look, you know, 200 yards from where I'm hunting, there is a saddle that, that I know five or 10 years ago deer moved because, you know, Nick used to hunt that spot all the time. He was too lazy to walk to it, so well, he wanted to send me I to was it. hunting. I was on my own spot. So then, you know, Marky kind of, you know, threw Onyx. He scouted on his own. You know, he found the exact spot, right, on this on this really nice saddle area, this ridge, and he hunted it, right? And, and you know – we saw a lot of good deer. I killed another nine point the very next year, and he, you know, he had a I couple. I missed good, that nine point the week couple, before. He had a couple <laughs> good opportunities at bucks in the same spot. But the point is, is that you know, through Onyx and you know us kind of recycling spots, is you kind of fine tune those areas and hone in to really where those deer are at because, you know, at the time we were hunting two hundred yards away from each other or less. But you could. There's no way I could see him. He couldn't see me you know the wind didn't affect us you know and we would see completely different deer you know during the same hunt so you know with the numbers right like you're saying you can kind of tweak spots through onyx you can tweak them we share spots now you know if i go and want to hunt somewhere uh he'll you know he'll send me a spot he may have a stand that he left back in the woods he can send me the exact coordinates of his stand i can walk back to his stand and climb in his stand you know and that's one interesting thing uh, specifically with onyx is like i don't know if y'all use the folder feature it's like a newer feature where you can put all your pins in one folder for like a specific management area and share it so like everybody can have their own pins in different colors but it's all in one file Uh, so when you pull it up you can see kind of where everybody's been at where everybody's putting notes at and that's been big for us specifically in some of the areas that we've hunted where we're doing the same thing where you know me and andrew go like going in like where we hunted in alabama in some mountains this year the same situation it was you know going in and Andrew had scouted this spot one time I scouted a spot three miles from there found some decent sign but nothing crazy we decided to hone in this one area that Andrew's been scouting and kind of fine-tune that you know there was the morning I shot the uh that eight-year-old six-point he was in an area that Andrew had been the day before two days before went to spot he's like, oh it's a big saddle he's like oh man it looks good but it's not good enough I'm like dude I'm gonna go there because it sets a perfect day for rut <laughs> went to that morning and had an unbelievable hunt shot exactly. a really, that's really, how it always deer. goes oh yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly I mean, how it goes. literally Andrew was sitting in that same spot in the back of my mind I knew I knew that that's, that was gonna happen he gets those spots and we're like ah it's okay but and then he kills us well you know here. you know what you know what when you get older sometimes you get more happiness out of sharing a spot and letting somebody else kill a buck out of your spot because if somebody like you've like, never well, shared yeah, a spot who, who you share a spot with <laughs> listen you're like I hope I know what that's like you're one day. younger he's younger than you 
I share all my spots, and they always get butts killed out of them. That, but but that's just how it goes, right? I mean, you, you get you you get happiness. I'm your cleanup guy because you know you, you no. miss a couple deer. I'm I, I'm a pretty decent shot. Ryan, usually, if 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 they shoot all four of them, they're gonna kill me. Is you're gonna I'm gonna empty a, a clip, and you hope I hit one. Yeah, it's a corn. You and Michael Pike need to start like a support group or something. <laughs> well, we we yeah, I'm we gonna start. A, I'm just gonna start videotaping. I'm not even. Gonna we had anymore. a support group this year because we were having to we were having to keep keep it between the lines for Marky because he was he was kind of going off the off the rails he he had missed one too many deer this year and and then he just said he wasn't on deer and he was going to quit hunting for the rest of you know <laughs> rest of his life I still woke up I still woke up and hunted every he day did. but I had some dark days this year <laughs> well, but, really he, but the day. thing is uh, that's why I told you earlier when he he goes and blows his load within the first thirty days of the season mm-hmm. right. And then, what do you mean blows his way? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he gets all excited, and it's it's really it's really exciting going through the season. The but he takes off all these days, and then even if it's bad days, he'll go and hunt. And if he misses or his if his muzzle loader misfires or whatever, then he gets all pissed off. Well, then it's like a race to the finish. You know, you get all that pressure put on yourself. You know, because because where we hunt, you know, the the rut is is you know three three weeks out of the year right like it is most places and you know after the rut it's you know slim pickings yeah it's slim pickings i mean sometimes it's not even worth hunting the second two weeks in january it, you know after the rut's all over with but anyways he, you know he, he he just gets all excited and then he he you know wastes his time and he, he puts all the mount the pressure just kind of mounts up on him <laughs> is that accurate but i never i never quit hunting i might get in a bad mood but i always wake up and go there's some mornings where i might not want to but i still go and i'm still gonna have a shot i just usually don't i got a qu- i got a question for all of y'all and y'all can all give me y'all stake if you could have a morning hunt or an afternoon hunt what's your go-to like when you look at the success you've had killing you know good deer morning or evenings honestly the last few years more success i think in the evenings but i'm not going to sleep through a morning because i know what can happen and and i don't know why honestly we should probably sleep till eight nine o'clock and get in the woods because most of the deer we kill 11 12 1 2 oh, o'clock i was about to the ask big, yeah, or but, midday the but, biggest deer i killed was at 11 30 but there have been times where we've killed one seven seven thirty and i can't we can't sleep through and oh did I, did I miss that but you know but most of the time i don't get excited till ten thirty. i mean i don't when we were younger though we we would hunt and then you know you get bored your mind starts racing and you'd be out of the woods by 10 o'clock now if you can hunt until one right even two and then change positions or whatever you know you're more successful last two years like mark you was saying we've had a lot of success in the afternoons where we would never hunt the afternoons because we just thought you know where we hunt you know there's we're not going to see anything in the afternoon. Well, you know, we started hunting in the afternoons, and we started seeing a lot of deer in the afternoons. And so I think, you know, I, like Marky said, I'm not going to waste – I'm not going to skip a morning, but I'd rather hunt a morning. And I, I know if you can hunt the afternoon, that's just a bonus hunt. It's know? something about seeing the sun come up. I mean, it's hard to sleep in during deer season. You can't – you only get so many days, so you might as well just go out there and sit all day. All right, Mario. And Manuel, what y'all take? Same thing, or y'all have a different take on it? Mornings or evenings or midday? I would say, yeah, I'm, I would rather hunt morning and just sit till midday. Um, but like you said, we we we've went a lot of a lot of years without hunting the evenings, and just these last two or three years, they've been killing a lot of deer in the evenings. But 
I would. I, I'm just like Mark. Yeah, I'd rather be out there in the morning. I, I hate to miss anything and try to sit till one or two. And and now we don't get to hunt as much. So whenever we can get in the woods, we just sit as long as we can. I mean, you say we, yeah. but I mean you're still. Yeah. The, all I heard this year is I can't hunt that much. And then every 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 day I talk to you in the woods. I didn't sit that many all day sits. This <laughs> That's year. true. It, all day sits is how we qualify now. As a hunt, an all day sit <laughs> is a that day means of you hunting. Yeah. <laughs> sit until ten or eleven. That ain't even getting the good stuff. Manuel, what's your take? Uh, lately, this year, evenings have been really good for Emmanuel's me. lazy, though. He don't like to wake up. <laughs> so he lo- he I, likes to sit. I hunt most mornings, though. He does. But uh, I killed a buck this year uh, at 11 a.m. Then I killed another buck at 2.50 in the evening. And then my last buck I killed around 4.15, 4.30. And all three bucks I killed, it was almost 70-degree weather as well. Uh, so unlikely conditions, but... It turned out good. I had a really good year this yeah, year. That's a classic Alabama rut hunt. Yep. It's right. 70 degrees. Right. Degrees. Butt coming through. Yeah. yeah. Humid. Hammer. You're kind yeah. of sweating. Mosquitoes right. about to get a hold don't of you. Yeah. Don't think you're going to see anything. See no. the biggest deer year. I'm not yeah. going to lie. This last week, last week of deer season, I had to actually use freaking pomethrin. I had to use, like, spray down because of mosquitoes. Man, they came out with a vengeance. Like, his club, dude, were nowhere. covered in mosquitoes. Oh, dude, that morning, we did a morning hunt. And it was like 40-something degrees. By 9 o'clock, because he had work called, I was a guest. So I had to leave when he had to leave. Dude, these mosquitoes, I was like, this is freaking terrible. It's February the freaking 5th or whatever. I'm like, this no, is. That was the last day. It was February 10th. Was it the last? No. Yeah. Oh, it was the 10th. Yeah, it, dude, that, was, that was terrible. But, Nick, what's your take? Again, after all this, all this time you've been hunting public land, mornings, evenings, midday, what, what's kind of been your go-to? I'm a morning guy. I'll say that. I'll, I'm a morning guy. I have. The utmost confidence from daylight till you know one o'clock, and I, that's I'll call it this morning hunt. Like I'm not going back out midday hunting, but I mean, Nick, what's your what's your take? I'm a midday guy. Mm-hmm. I usually get up and get out there about eight o'clock, and I'll sit till two o'clock, mm-hmm. and I'll be back home in the afternoon with a big buck in the truck. That's all. It usually, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Time to break up the beagles after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that ain't bad. I, I kind of like afternoons. Um, I'm trying to get more into the midday thing because, like, yeah, I've I've had really good hunts at midday, but I haven't been doing it that long because I grew up like everybody else, man. And it's you sit for whatever reason till ten o'clock. Like everybody gets up at ten o'clock and goes to like Waffle House or whatever, or you know. Jacks go get or a Jack's. biscuit. But if, then you have like the SOA hunt this year, and I had like probably the best hunt of my life at like seven thirty in the morning. Yeah. Like I shot my I buck at never like know. seven. Do you remember the night, the day before we missed a hundred and forty something inch buck four times with a rifle? What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, okay. Look, I yeah, I knew you were going to work that. that in I want to hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all can connect right here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, I, I said four times. Remember that? So. Yeah, I did. I did. I whiffed on him four times. Whatever. We've no, been there. No, just, I've been there. Oh, dude, it was bad, man. He walked into the it. most wide open, picturesque, grassy little dude, open the spot. Best, when this footage comes out, the I'm, I've said this seven times on the podcast. The <laughs> best footage you've ever seen of a miss in your entire life. Okay. <laughs> was the scope yeah, was, not on or what? It, yeah, the scope was off. Yeah, and I shot yeah. a buck. I shot a buck with his rifle That's the next day. No, it's yeah. complete. Yeah, yeah I, I checked it that night. It was nine and a half inches high. You're <laughs> <laughs> lying, dude. No, he's lying. Absolutely. No, no, so I missed him at like four. It wasn't even close to dark. It was like four o'clock. This buck was out enjoying his evening. Dude, working a scrape. Just not as care in the world. Come, working a scrape. Big, I'm gonna show you, I'll show you all. We're probably walking around. Right. He's like, man, I love these woods. You just close your, your eyes. Strolling. And so, I, yeah, I missed him four times. I, 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 looked, over, and, uh, I looked over at Andrew. 
because I saw his butt coming for like a couple minutes before he could see it. Look, Jay, it was Jacob's fault. Okay. And I, I'm like, I look over at Andrew because I'm filming him. I'm filming his butt coming in. I'm like, dude, this is the biggest buck you'll ever kill. And I, I meant in Alabama because maybe he'd go kill one out. He said that. It's the biggest buck you'll ever kill. Minutes before I saw, I could see the deer. He's like, this is the biggest buck you'll ever kill. I was like, huh? Like, what? And so, yeah, I got a little worked up. I missed him. And then I, I was pissed off and I was like kind of starting to throw all my stuff out of the tree as I was getting down because I was oh. like, I, I'm done. Oh. Let's go home. And uh, he's like, no, we're coming back here in the morning. And then that same spot in the morning, same exact spot, I shot another buck, not quite as big, but close, um, at 7.30. And then I lowered down the gun, gave can, it to him, he gave me the camera, and he shot a buck out of his pass. tree at like 8.30, yeah, an can hour pass, later. Y'all can pass that They're around. passing around. Shame. Yeah, that, that's a giant. Yeah, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Man, I was I've sick. I've been there before. Dude, I haven't been that upset about anything in a long time. You I can, mean, you'll think about that one. Jacob, for a while. Jacob saw the worst of Andrew Jake, that just, day. Just hit play on that. Yeah, I was pretty upset. That's after he shot four times at it, and it was just standing there, and I'm like wide open. It, like, it stood in front of us for 20 minutes. If I had a gun, again, I'm 15. No, I'm probably. Did you not have any more bullets? I did. I got. I had enough time. He stood there so long. I got out of the tree and walked around and tried to find a better angle to shoot him at. Because they didn't know what happened. How many bullets do you carry these days? I carry a box in my bag. <laughs> They're that. Listen, the biggest, that's seventy five dollars. That, <laughs> that, that deer on the wall in there, he killed. Yeah. The morning he killed it, me and him were getting out of the truck, and he jingles. He has in his hands he had six shells. That ought to be enough. <laughs> so he he shoots that deer, and it's it, he thirty yards, thirty yards, and he he keeps telling me I, I walk down. It's like eleven thirty, maybe twelve. I, I don't shot know. Him at, yeah, eleven forty four. So he's he said he's laying down, but I think he's supreme. I'm like, no, he's not, and he jumps up, and so we we're on the chase for this deer, and sure enough. And by the time it was we, so thick, it, we couldn't get any more shots. Out he, of. he he used every shell. He finally got one good shot on him and, and dropped him. And we got to the deer, and he's still alive. And I'm right there. No. And I, I have to do the finishing shot. No. He so, actually killed so, that deer for me. I never told I never told anybody that. Never. But but that sure enough that morning those six shells were not enough. And then he's have the you know Golbetti uh, little like a uh, he's like a you know that little freaking brass tack underneath and be like you know, about the gold better brothers yeah a little little assist hey, going on yeah the assist emmanuel he had to shoot one for me one time i i shot one right at dark dropped there he i saw him run over fall <laughs> legs straight up i walked down to him he jumped up like there was nothing wrong with him i went and got emmanuel he came down there and emmanuel he actually had to shoot. were you out of bullets that day too no emmanuel just had a closer shot that oh, okay. day <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, golly, yeah. The bad part about mine is we were on an SOA hunt, so there's people on the yeah. units next to you, and so we're like back at the skin and shed or whatever the next day, and people are like, "Oh, we heard that. Did you? Were you, did you get into a sound or a haul?" Because <laughs> in the mad, the footage, it's like, bah, bah, bah. I mean, as quick as he could work that bolt, dude. He's fine. I, like, I can work that bolt quick. And okay. dude, he was just like, I'm like, man. Everyone's like, man, you getting some pigs? And I'm like, no, it wasn't pigs. Dude. It was one of the biggest deer that came off. It was place. a pig, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty bad. What you got, Nick? The only way this footage could be any better is if there was some standing water behind it and there were splashes going up all over the place. So, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. yeah still I, I got to watch it again. Oh, dude. That's one where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about it and you're just like, man. It, it hurts. That one hurts. That was target panic, man, because he was working through this, this wide open spot and, uh, I don't know why, but I, I let him walk into the crosshairs, and I was like, "Oh, I got him!" And I shot, and I didn't stop him. And so he, how far was he? Uh, four hundred yards. Oh, four hundred. <laughs> oh, no. no, no, he wasn't four hundred. What? How far was he? I'm uh, not gonna guess. He, he was probably like 120 or so. Oh, that's still pretty far. I was freehanding it. 
That the thing help. is, I've seen Andrew shoot deer way farther than that, no problem, but not deer that big though. So that, that yeah. you know, and no. also it kind of doesn't help when your buddy leans over and is like, "Hey, dude, this is the biggest deer you ever shoot." And I have my headset on because I'm filming. I turn around, he's like, and I can hear him. Andrew's mic. He's like, "What?" Well, and so I'm like, I, I, got, I, I I'm, I'm, wearing, him, so I'm just still filming the deer as he's coming in. I'm wearing a lapel mic, so it's right here on my collar. And then the footage, you can hear my heart beating. <laughs> so, so it's he's quiet. He, I'm like, he can't see the deer yet because I'm asking, "Hey, can you see?" He's like, "No, I can't see it." And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm expecting they're, they're, a big old fork to walk like, out. I got headsets on, just like just like I have now, and I can't hear anything. And all of a sudden, I hear all this stuff moving. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he sees it now. And then like, <laughs> I didn't notice. We didn't notice until after we watched the footage. But like after like when that deer's work, he's working this scrape and he's throwing his head back. I mean, working this looking branch. And that deer, he steps off that that uh, scrape, starts working up towards us, and. Um, after we walked or listened to the footage, you can hear Andrew's heartbeat. He's like, right, right on that microphone, and just like, I mean, going crazy. I'm so, like, yeah. So what do you what do you do? Like when you're when you're hunting and you see a big buck, do you get really calm or do you start shaking like all over or what? That's now, the thing. So we were talking not long ago about how like we haven't I haven't missed a buck in like years. Okay, that was mistake number. That was one. mistake number one. So first of all, that jinxed it. But usually when I see a buck. Um, I'm like, I'm very, uh, like, I don't even like, I'm, I might get a little bit of like an adrenaline dump, but it, he calls it shark eyes. Like I go into like kill mode and I shoot it and then I like come apart. That's but on this deer, that did not happen. <laughs> yeah. He skipped that part. And yeah, he, skipped just, that part. He, he just came apart and then like the shot, you see the footage of the shots, you know, a foot and a half over the deer's back. Well, and he also said, "Hey, I would, I would high shoulder this." Yeah, I deer. would. I was like, "I might do because he's about to get some." <laughs> I, big shot, stuff. I shot this he far your, over his back. <laughs> he was your consultant while you were shooting. <laughs> hey, but the funny thing is, so that I'll tell a story. Andrew makes fun of me every time I tell. There was a deer in Tennessee that got past me. It's the oh biggest, biggest typical buck I've ever laid eyes on. Absolute giant. He gets bigger every time he tells a story, man. <laughs> no. One hundred and ten inch. That that's what it started out <laughs> as. Fifty to sixty inches that deer. Oh my! And <laughs> had him at forty five yards, and I had a rifle in my hand, but it was a single shot Thompson Center, and he's coming up this rub line right at daybreak, coming up, and I see his left maybe. I'm like, oh my god, that's a huge. I don't care if he's a half rack. I'm killing that deer, huge deer. And I get the gun up, I see his rack, and he's coming right through a privet thicket, like this nasty privet coming right off the edge of it. He gets right in the open, quarter and two shot, forty five yards. And that was one of those times I got worked up, and it was so quiet. It was one of those situations, quiet, crisp morning, not no wind, just straight thermals kind of dropping down. That deer knew something was up, okay? And he looked up at me, and I'm about eight feet off the ground in this nasty cedar thicket, nasty hellhole in this saddle, and I'm trying to get that gun up. And the second I get up, I'm looking through the scope, but it's a single shot, so it's not like you pop the safety out, pull the trigger. I got to cock the hammer back. I cocked that hammer back, and dude, I'm like freaking falling apart. I'm like, I just gotta get a shot in this deer, and we'll, you know, yeah, we, we gotta shoot this deer. And I try to get that hammer back, and as I'm getting that hammer back, I'm trying to do it as quietly as possible. He's looking at me, he starts stomping, stomping that left leg, looking at me. And I pull that hammer back, and it goes ding ding, and just like clicks back, and that deer comes inside out and is gone. Two seconds bounds off. I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's one of those situations that, like, you know, it was quick. It happened. He was coming right up this thick nasty little hell hole coming out of this private thicket and i didn't see him until he's 50 yards from me saw him for about you know 30 seconds before i try and get the gun up um but it's one of those situations that if i saw that deer coming from three four five hundred yards away and i had to wait for him to give me a shot to that whole tree would have been probably shaking like crazy dude like just yeah. unbelievable and nick used to always tell us back when we were young and stuff he used to always say if it's a big deer he's like first shot you get you take it because a lot of times when those deer get within if you're hunting thick they're going to be close and they usually they usually know something's up you know what i'm saying you know, the closer they get and it's 
that's what I always think. The first open shot I get, I'm going to take, and usually I miss. But that, I don't know. I think a lot of people might wait a little too long. A little, you know, I don't know. Maybe I should wait longer. I don't know. But it's it's like do or die. A lot of those shots are do or die out there. It's like those deer are moving through, and you, you know, you only have a small window. It's not like you're going out there cutting your shoot. Or I don't. Yeah, yeah probably should, but I don't. But you Some, know. sometimes I wish that it would actually take. You know, like the best hunt I've ever had was i got to see a deer come in big nine point he was snort wheezing grunting you know trying to trying to get on a doe and i got to watch him for about 10 minutes and until i got a really good shot on him and you know i wish you know you could if every hunt was like that you know you could have that all that excitement and then you kind of get the climax of shooting them instead of you know you 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 see a, a big buck and you shoot him and it's over with you know what I'm saying? You climb down and you see the deer and, and all the excitement's kind of done. So if, uh, all the pomp and circumstance, you know, of, of actually watching the deer, watch him work, watch him chase after a doe, you know, and, and all the excitement. I think that, that I wish you could kind of have every hunt just like that, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen perfectly like that every time. No, it's like the only, the only time I've had that happen recently was the deer from this year, the, the eight year old I shot on some big piece of public land. And, um, I saw him coming in with a doe and he's coming through and he's just he's a he's a huge body six point just huge face it has it looks like a donkey with antlers on him and he was coming up this ridge line following this doe and he actually i didn't realize at the time but i'm filming him he actually turned back and ran down and tried to chase another buck off this doe that was kind of like back behind him and i saw that deer for probably three or four minutes five minutes before i finally got a shot at him and it was one of those things that like when i knew he was going to come through a certain sh- like opening i had I'm like, okay, 100% game plan, you know, get set up, get the camera set up, get the... Also, I've learned filming-wise, and, and Marky, maybe you ought to do this, talk about filming. If you film, it kind of takes, to me, it takes some of the stress off of, like, you're always looking at the deer, like, trying to figure out your shot, because you're trying to get that camera position and stuff, and it's kind of like, I don't know, to me, it, it sounds crazy, but actually a little less stressful than just, like, with a gun in your hand. Um, but, you know, that was one of the times I've had recently where I could see a deer for a long time. The only time was, like, last year in Iowa... I'm sitting in a, on a cut cornfield off this little creek and had 10 bucks pop out. Four of the deer were over 140 inches, and they're out there just chilling at 300 yards from me, and I'm shaking like a fr- – at first of all, it was negative 7 degrees. I'm already cold, <laughs> and I'm shaking like a leaf because there's these freaking four real big deer out there and a bunch of other – there's like you know four or five other deer that were 125 inches or bigger. Um, and this other buck that I shot ran them out of the field and he come trotting across the field and he was 137 inch freaking 22 inch wide nine point that came out there huge body on 250 pounds not a lick of fat in that deer ran those deer out of the field and he came trotting by shot him trotting with the muzzler and dropped him but it happened so quick by that time I was already like cool and collected because these other bucks been out there for 30 minutes as I'm like stressing about them getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer um so I mean that's a that's a really that's a big point that's one of those things that like you hear about people missing deer like on food plots and stuff like that buck come out you know he's bumping does on a food plot and it's like he's kind of like worked up chasing does and it's like you have all the time in the world in that food plot he's just messing with does but it's like you get so worked up because you're trying to get a decent position different or a good shot opportunity but it goes back to like mark what you're saying like first opportunity you get at taking a good ethical kill shot take it because you know guys like michael perry who we've had on podcast a bunch of times he talks about that he's like first opportunity i get at him you know whether with him with with a bow i can get it an arrow all the way up through that deer or i can get him with a rifle you know and get a bullet all the way up through that deer i'm going to take it because you don't know what a mature especially, specifically a mature stuff, buck's too much do. stuff can happen yeah I absolutely mean. it almost happened to us on this soa hunt 
the morning that me and Andrew shot our bucks, he shot one at 10 point at seven o'clock in the morning. And then I climbed down the tree, gave him the camera. He gave me his gun because I didn't have my gun with me. I climbed up the tree and I shot another buck. Five, he shot a four and a half year old, shot a five and a half year old an hour later coming through. And I was so calm and collected. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. We're about to tag out the cool deer. I'm just getting this cool footage. <laughs> and I almost was like too relaxed to the point, like I almost let him get out of a decent shooting lane because he's coming through all this grass and stuff. Well, I mean, beautiful, but dude. Andrew got some pretty good footage. I ain't gonna lie. This he's coming through. He's <laughs> yeah, breathing out. The steam's coming out of this deer's nose. It's cold and more. It's like twenty nine degrees, thirty degrees. Steam's coming out of his nose as he's coming in, and he gets. And I'm like, I'm gonna shoot him right when he comes through like this patch of grass. And I'm thinking the grass is like two and a half feet tall. The grass is like four feet tall. And I'm like <laughs> covering his body. Yeah, I'm like, oh crap, I can just see. Yeah, he got that grass. Up. I was like, well, I guess he's not gonna shoot and, it. And then by that point, he, dude, I mean, I've been watching this deer for a couple minutes, maybe coming down this this ditch towards us. And I'm like, oh crap, my shooting lane, like I had a good opportunity beforehand. Again, the first good shot I had him, I passed it because I'm like, let's get some better footage. Well, then he gets to that spot. I'm like, oh, this is about to get bad because he's about to like get through this grass. I'm not going to be able to get a shot opportunity because it's about to get really thick, choked out cedars and all this kind of stuff. And finally, I was able to stop him on the edge of some grass. He was still kind of behind some grass and I was able to kind of get a shot through the grass and kill him. Um, But it's one of those things that like, again, if I didn't have a camera guy with me, I would have tried to shoot that deer quicker earlier on instead of letting him get to 50 yards i was shot him at 80 yards where i had you know clear open view of that deer kind of quartering towards me uh, so that, that's a really good point that a lot of guys again might overthink that you don't have all the time in the world if you're on a big food plot you're on a big ag field yeah like you know he's out in the open or a big you know fresh clear cut you have all the time in the world but if you're in the timber and it's thick dude i mean the matter of seconds he could be completely wide open or now he's behind a bunch of you know thick privet and you know sa- you know saplings and stuff and then you never have a shot opportunity at him so mm-hmm. uh yeah so we're sitting here at an hour and a half we've uh we've invaded y'all's house and everything y'all fed us it's been a really good night uh one of the things i kind of wanted to end on is the fact that you know coming here and meeting all y'all tonight y'all clearly have something very special with your family it's really cool to see man uh all you guys hunting together like all these brothers hunting together and the relationship y'all have and the stories y'all have is really awesome and uh i i'm kind of curious about y'all's comments on kind of that family dynamic about how you guys you know grew up and all got into it and i I think most of y'all have young kids now yeah how how you're trying to maybe pass that on to your kids because that's another question that we'll get from time to time is you know guys who maybe they have babies or they have toddlers or whatever and they're they're looking at the future and they're like man how do i build this tradition with my kids y'all clearly have a freaking awesome tradition so i'm curious what y'all's thoughts are on that i think uh as our kids get older i think you know nick has all those beagles i think we're going to gradually shift into taking you know nick already rabbit hunts all the time but i think starting the kids out rabbit yeah. hunting something action-packed you know we started out deer hunting where we were freezing didn't have enough clothes to miserable. why why do we still like deer hunting i have no idea because we started <laughs> out we were you know it was it was miserable but we loved being outside but i think you know taking them rabbit hunt with nick and his dogs i think that that'll get them into it dove hunting you know we dove hunt out here all the time so i think more action-packed like that yeah, I don't know. Me and Ryan, you think our girls will get into it? Or? Yeah, they got girls, so I'm not I sure. don't know. We'll I've, try. I've asked and begged, but I have three <laughs> girls, so they don't really. When, by the by, the time mine are like five and seven, I'm gonna find a way to get them out. Like when when I'm for Christmas break or something, I'm gonna find a way to get them out there and 
so I can sit and hunt at least. And then maybe they'll take to it, maybe they won't. But we got to find Emmanuel a girlfriend for a wife first. I mean, he, he <laughs> yeah, this is all call to everybody listening to the podcast. We got a we got a, a single. He's single. He's got a good job. Got a nice He's truck. Thirty. He has a very nice truck. I will has I will a very nice that. boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice boat. I got a nice boat, dude. Listen, come on. You're halfway there, man. Six if you, foot if you have, I know we got some ladies that listen to this podcast now. If you have 500 acres or more, please contact me. <laughs> two, two, 205. Age is not a factor. <laughs> Age is not a factor. No, but, but I mean. If there's like, any 85 year old ladies out there with a lot of land, they don't call me. <laughs> We, uh, I, I think, like Mario said, dove hunting, right? The Farm. girls they can ride four wheelers with us, and they'll they'll yeah. dove hunt, yeah. rabbit hunting, which that my girls hadn't done it yet, and they they don't really have much of a desire. We would go behind the house on a power line and, and deer hunt, but they they get all worked up if I come home with a deer. They don't like seeing all that. So for me, you know, <laughs> as long as they're happy and they can enjoy the day with their mom, and I can go out and hunt at least half a day, you know, yeah. it, it'll be fine. But uh, Maybe one day. Maybe when they get into their teens. If not, we'll just keep all hunting together as much as we can and with the boys that want to hunt. And Nick has two way. boys that are going to be Daniel yeah. Crockett and Davey you, Boone. You'll Davey probably Crockett be seeing a Daniel Boone. <laughs> yeah. Old Davey Boone. You'll be seeing a lot of good posts in a few years with their their kids killing deer, I know. so. No, I'll agree like the rabbit hunting, um, it, like action pack hunting. Uh, I look at one of my uncles. He's got uh, – three three younger kids i say younger one of them he's god he's in college now he's 19 but you're old yeah he, he, no yeah he's he's night they're they were from like 19 like 13 uh his three kids and he got them into deer hunting young and the thing is it kind of they all kill deer real young six seven eight years old and i feel like it almost kind of like it kind of pushed them away like they were just sitting on food plots you know hunting like that and um they're not excited about it anymore but they're interested like we got bird dogs and i'll take pepper down there and they're interested with the dogs like the dog hunting and stuff and like they don't rabbit hunt uh, they don't have any beagles or anything they grew up hunting with beagles they had a pack of freaking beagles when i was younger and uh it's just one of those things that i think that's like the best way to get kids and this is i don't have kids this is my thought is like action pack squirrel hunting with dogs which is awesome i've only experienced one time it was a freaking blast um, you know, hunting with, you know, beagles on some rabbits or, you know, bird dogs hunting like, you know, whether it's on plantation hunt for quail, going after woodcock around here or something like that. Something the interactive aspect with the dogs and it's social and you don't have to be quiet. You don't have to worry about scent control. You have a good time. I think it's an awesome way just to get kids introduced to it. And then they get excited about it. They get, you know, they have fun and maybe they kind of start introducing some of that deer hunting a little bit later on to the point where they start enjoying it and they kind of see the value of it. Um, because I've seen so many kids that like they kill a deer when they're young and then it seems like social media, not social media, but like video, especially video games, gets them so distracted. They're just like, oh, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to go hunting anymore. I think it took us so long to be successful from starting out when we were five years old and like, you know, hunting the miserable days, never seen anything that, you know, now that we, once we got successful, it just like kept growing and growing the, the urge to, you know, kill bigger and better deer. Not even that, just, I mean, we, we don't, every deer we kill it in a trophy by any means. We, we just enjoy, enjoy and being the, out there together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's great to hunt with a group. We just like to hunt when somebody kills one, we like to drag them out together and, you know, mess around. I can relate to that. And it's also about, like, the adversity and, like, the suck factor. It's like if, you know, generation you grew up, like, hunting was, like, a struggle. And, like, it took a lot to, like, be successful. And you see that. And, like, you know, you didn't have a whole bunch of video games and stuff to distract you. You kind of, like, understood, like, overcoming adversity. And after, like, all the struggles hunting, like, it took me – I started hunting with my uncles. My dad doesn't hunt. I hunted with my mom's brothers. uh, Like, three or four years to kill my first deer. And 
and then started getting into public land hunting and stuff like that and went to a high school where we could hunt a whole bunch of the school's property too and uh that kind of fed it more so instead of going out and just you know have a cakewalk i'll just go sit on a feeder or something like that and hunt that way I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it um but something about like having that adversity and overcoming like it's you don't kill a deer every time you go out in the woods right. and understanding like hey deer hunting is not about going out and killing deer every single time um you know, I don't know how you relate that to kids or just relate to any new hunter in general. I mean, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that might be in their 40s. And they've only been hunting for a year or two, and they're just interested in getting into it. And, like, understanding, like, you got to embrace that suck of not being successful for so that when you are successful, it's, like, super, super rich and rewarding in that case. And even still, I mean, you know, we still – we can hunt some private land, but we would rather hunt public land because when you do kill one, it's just it's, – if it's a – little four point it's a trophy i mean alabama public land is hard to hunt i mean that's what makes it fun hunting is just like anything else like you're saying face adversity but you know if you if you stick to something and you want to be good at it you know you you embrace the days and the process you know just like nick saban says right you you turkey hunt you squirrel hunt you you duck hunt you do all the things to to kind of put in the work and then the the reward comes after right after you've sat in all the rainy days and you misfired and you miss bucks when you finally do seal the deal on that one deer you know it makes all that you know real those crappy days of the, of the work that you put in well worth the, the actual hunt why you gotta quote nick saban you redneck i'm just <laughs> hey hey it's the truth. Right now. roll tide <laughs> roll tide <laughs> we get two Auburn fans in here that's why i'm saying that so yeah sorry boys <laughs> <laughs> You might leave here tonight. He lives a miserable life. You know, <laughs> Man, it's been a, it's been a hard couple years down on the plains, boys. <laughs> Let me tell you, been a rough one. Uh, anyways, hey, can't thank y'all enough for uh, letting us come over here and do this. This has been awesome. This has been an yeah, absolute blast. We have to get together and uh, do some rabbit hunting, man. I, I might have a spot. Let's we do will it. talk to Nick about it. Nick's the one with the dogs. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, appreciate y'all coming on. Uh, hopefully, we'll do it again in the future. So, I uh, appreciate everybody listening. And we'll catch you back here on next week's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.